0: Good morning and welcome to Hochma and Coffee. Hopefully you guys are doing well today. I know it's Veterans Day, and I just wanna say a big thank you to all who served in our armed forces here in America. Thank you guys so much. It means the world to us, and we just hope that you are honored and feel respected today as you should be. I wanna bring on my brother here as we get started this morning. Jonah, it's good to see you. how are you? good how are you doing oh good it's nice not being up at you know the crack of dawn today being able to start a little bit later (laughs) yes it is nice. yes sir well it's good to see you glad you're on today we're talking about hebrews 9. And so if you are somebody who is studying through Hebrews with us, or maybe you're just jumping in because you're studying Hebrews 9 on your own and you want to see uh, maybe some other people's takes on it, welcome in. There's so much to go through in Hebrews 9. Uh, Hebrews 9 and 10 are are really dense. And so we'll be covering those today, and I hope that you enjoy it. I'm telling you, the first section of Hebrews 9, maybe you can agree with me, Jonah, is really hard. It's really dense, a lot of stuff. But then it starts to pick up. It just starts to move. And so I hope that you guys join us through this uh, today. And so let's uh, first get some things out of the way. We've got this Hochma and Coffee background you can download for free down below if you enjoy Hochma, And maybe you're like, what in the world is Hochma?" It's the Hebrew word for wisdom. And it's our goal on this podcast every Friday just to give out a, a dose of wisdom from the Word of God. And so if you're interested, there's that for you. We also have the Cool Mug Club. If you guys got your mugs, you got those there. To drink your coffee as we get our hojma, that also is a link in the description. But then we're also doing a massive giveaway at this time. We're giving away a very expensive study Bible, we're giving away access to our Preaching and Teaching Made Simple course, as well as our Bible Study Made Simple course, and I think we're giving away a good news book as well. So all of that's being given away. Uh, If you want details, look for that thumbnail on our channel, watch the review, and see how to enter. That's all there, okay? And then also we want to give a huge thank you to our uh, supporters who've been with us for the last few years. We got Judy Murphy, Gary Pence, Maggie Diaz, Kathy Earnhardt, and Cindy Erickson. They have just been with us through thick and thin. And that's why we are able to do what we do even today. And so thank you to each and every one of our supporters. So without further ado, <clears throat> are you ready to – man, my voice is now all cracking. <laughs> are, are you ready to dive into Hebrews 9, John? Are you ready for this? let's do it okay so we've got this whole thing i'm not going to read through the entire chapter right yet i think we'll read through man the first section and i'll probably have you read through it because my voice is going away for a second (laughs) Um, just let's read from verse 1 through 10 and then we'll discuss it and then we'll read verses 11 and on and then discuss it does that sound
1: good sounds good okay so i'll have you talk about it while i clear my throat over here All right. Sounds good. Verse one says, then verily the first covenant uh, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were uh, offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Yes, that's so good. Thank you for doing that. Man, for sure. This is this is the dent section and
0: we'll just kind of say this first section is about the old tabernacle under the Old Covenant. And so we'll dive into explaining this. First, I just want to bring up uh, this year from Miss Belinda here. Good to see you, Belinda, from South Africa. And we are doing well. Hope you're doing well as well. I don't know what time it is over there. Uh, So for us, we say, good morning. (laughs) I don't know what time it is over there for you. But I hope no matter what time of day it is that you're having a great day, a blessed day in the Lord. And so let's dive into this. Let's dive into uh, Hebrews 9 together. We're talking about the first covenant and we're talking about the old sanctuary or the old tabernacle, or even I guess we could even refer to it as the temple. It had the same kind of layout here. And so let's look at this together here. We have this first one, which is worldly. It's a worldly one. And I, we have to make sure we understand kind of the tech, the phrases he's using. So I, I have here first, we have the first, and where does he say second later on? this? after the second veil here. so if we're looking at this on the picture here, oh, so she says it's 8 p.m. over there, so it's not morning, it's not morning over there. Uh, But so here, we gotta look, the first is this. This is the first tabernacle. So when we read through Hebrews 9, whenever he says first tabernacle, he's referring to this section of the tabernacle. Whenever he says second tabernacle, he's talking about the holy of holies. And we'll we'll hopefully make that more clear as we go along. But this is what he is saying. He's saying the first tabernacle is here. The second tabernacle is here. In the first tabernacle, he says there's the candlestick, there's the table and the showbread, which is kind of one thing right here. And then he all there's also the incense altar, okay? That's in the first, but he says something interesting here. He says something interesting. Oh, look, we've got someone else here. Luigi from France. Man, it's so exciting. I don't know what time it is there either. Uh, But it's (laughs) awesome to have you, Luigi, with us. So we're seeing what's in this first tabernacle. The first tabernacle, okay, which is the first division of the tabernacle. Um, We have the candlestick, the table, and also in there is the incense altar, which Joan and I were discussing this before we went live. It says here, which had the golden censer. It had the golden censer. And we're like, man, but that that's weird because as we look at the layout, the golden censer is right here, which is right outside of the second tabernacle or the Holy of Holies. And so why does he say it had the golden censer? I know I was reading from Weersby, and he says that it pertained to the Holy of Holies, but Jonah, he pulled up something. Was it from John Phillips? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, and and I want, to, I want him to read this for us because I think this helps us understand why the author of Hebrews said that it had the golden censer. And it takes us back to ancient Israel. It takes us back in time. We're jumping in the time machine together. And so, Jonah, if you'll read that for us. Oh, and it's seven over there. Oh, well, mm. thanks for joining us. Uh, but read that section from Phillips for us and... Um, I think this will help us realize just why he says it had the golden censer. So,
1: Jonah, you want to look at that for us? Yeah, it says, The ordinary censers used in connection with the tabernacle worship were made of brass, usually, or copper, and had to do symbolically with prayer. The use of brass or copper suggests, no doubt, the poverty and limited value of our own unaided prayers. It's just... If we don't have any aid by the Holy Spirit or Christ being our mediator or high priest, it's no, it's worthless. On the great day of atonement, though, the high priest used a golden censer, not the copper one. A detailed description of the ritual connected with the day of atonement is given later in this chapter, according to John Phillips. This is what he's saying. We need to note uh, here However, of there is something of considerable interest. In the normal daily course of events, the priest would burn the incense on the golden altar that stood in the holy place near, near the veil. The clouds of perfume would arise and fill the holy place and filter into the Holy of Holies. But on the Day of Atonement, the ritual was different. Once a year on this day, the high priest would take the golden censer and fill it with live coals from the great brazen altar of sacrifice that stood in the outer court. Then he would carry the censer with its glowing coals into the holy place. He'd pass right by the golden altar, for on this one day of the year, it had no function. A higher and more significant ritual was being enacted. As he passed the barrier of the veil and went on into the Holy of Holies, the high priest would throw incense onto the burning coals in the golden censer in his hand. And so we can see this is why uh, the author or the penman of Hebrews is saying, hey, it's in the holy of holies, even though it's usually not. So so there's a few things. I like this. There's a few things we got to talk about.
0: The first thing is the incense from this golden altar did go into, it, and, and, and we were talking about the table of showbread and candlesticks seem like they are more pointed our way from God. You know, the table of showbread representing that God's presence is what sustains us, you know. And we can even think of his words are what sustain us from that quote, is it in Deuteronomy, where he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He, he sustains us, the table of showbread. We also have the candlestick, he is the light. Jesus is the light, and we cannot see without him. The incense altar, though, is is different in that it is word. It's our prayers Godward, and the, and the scent of the incense altar did go inside the veil. It pertained to that which was in the veil. But on that last day, on the great day of atonement, he would bring a censer and he would bring the golden censer into that place, the Holy of Holies, where it would fill that that place. So I like that, I like that description. Hopefully that helps some of us as we read through this and we're like, why, why does he say it had the golden censer? Now he goes on and he talks about the Ark of the Covenant and what was inside of it. He says that there was the manna, there was Aaron's rod, and there was the tables of the covenant. And so that was inside the Ark of the Covenant. But over it, he says, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak now particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests always went into the first tabernacle. So again, as we look at this, we've gotta realize he's saying that first tabernacle, this one right here, first tabernacle is pertaining to this. So he said the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God, but into the second, that's this one, went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle, again, we're talking about this, was yet standing. Okay, so we've got to, we've got to stop here for a second. This is, this is. This is awesome. So he's saying, as long as this is standing, it is signifying that the true way for everybody into God's presence is not yet made manifest. Like, that, this verse is dense, but it's delicious. As long as this is here, as long as there's a division between first and second, he's saying, the way's not yet manifest. It's not yet manifest. Just the, the, the design of the tabernacle is showing The best is yet to come. There is coming a day when we will be able to enter into the holiest of all. And he says in verse nine, which was a figure. This was a figure for the time then present in which they offered both gifts and sacrifices. And I love this. I love this. It says, which could not make him that did the service perfect. It couldn't do it. This, this is a beautiful, beautiful ceremony, but it couldn't change us. It couldn't make us what we were meant to be. It was only carnal. It only worked on the outside. And so Jonah, as we look at this, what are some things that we should look at before we continue on into the, to the new tabernacle?
1: Yeah. And so it's always, it's an amazing thing how we look at the old uh, tabernacle and There is only one person who could ever enter into the Holy of Holies. And so this is why it's so crazy where it's saying, yeah, uh, it's, there's not it's not made manifest how you can get into the Holy of Holies, but we might be thinking, well, someone did, but not, I couldn't get into it. Yeah. Um, No one could get into it and not even the high priest could only do it one day a year. And so (laughs) uh, not accessible. Um, and so, yeah. and we'll probably talk about it in a few, uh, moments, but there does come a time where that veil is rent mm. and it will be accessible that it, yes. we can go directly to the throne of grace as we've already read in Hebrews. We are able now to do it, but it was not accessible, uh, at this point in time when the tabernacle And this first part was standing, as the verse says. Yeah. And so I think that's, I think this we need to get.
0: And so this first section, it can feel like it's not as applicable to us because it's like we never had this tabernacle for us personally. So why, why would I read this? This kind of seems, you know, tedious to me, but we need to get a good grasp on what they had so that we have, I think, a better appreciation for what we have. Would you agree to that, Jonah? Yeah, for appreciate it. As I was studying this, out, I'm like, man, what? how are we going to make this applicable to anybody listening? But we have to. We really have to see what they had and how limited it was. And, and the fact that they could not come into that holiest of all, except for that one person once a year. Yet daily, we have this privilege. We've already covered that in Hebrews. He says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. And yet how often Christians, we, we don't take God up on that offer You know, it's, I think if we had a million dollar giveaway right now and we said, if all you have to do is come to Oregon, you know, if you come to Oregon, we'll give you a million dollars. I I highly doubt anybody watching this would not chart a plane to come. If, If it was a real offer, if it was a real offer, you would chart a plane, you would get on the plane today. You would make your way to Oregon to get a million dollars because you know, it's worth it. You know, it's worth it to be able to get that prize. And yet God says, I'm not just giving you a million dollars, I'm giving you myself, my attention, my interaction, my fellowship, the creator, who's worth way more than a million dollars. He, he made everything and, and holds it all together. He says, you can come before me and talk with me and ask things of me. And yet we relegate that to the background. I think seeing the, how much it was prized in their eyes makes our own access much more valuable. They could only come in one person, one time a year, Yet we can come in now, like you, you can turn off YouTube right now and come into God's presence. Go and pray and come before him with your singing and with your requests. Friends, may we see how valuable that is, okay? And so that's that's part number one. That's the old tabernacle. We've looked at the different things in there, but let's look at the new tabernacle of the New Testament, okay? So we start in verse 11, and he says this, But Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. And right here, we're seeing that contrast with verse one. Verse one was a worldly tabernacle, meaning it's made of things of this world. But this one was not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. It's not made with things of earth. And that's a good thing. I mean, if we were to think about the old tabernacle, it had to be repaired. I mean, I bet you there were times when they were taking it down and setting it up and taking it down and setting it up. Something got damaged. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surmising here. It's not I don't think it's in the text, but I'm guessing there were times when maybe something got dirty and had to be washed. And there were times when something got broken and had to be fixed. This tabernacle was not perfect, but this one is not made with normal things. It never has to be maintained, never has to be fixed. It is, it is. And so it's a better tabernacle. And it says this, it says in verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for. Us. I'm just going to keep reading and then we'll talk about this, okay? For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conf- conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What a section. Okay, this is where it starts to roll. This is beautiful. Jesus, oh... He did something much greater than ever happened under the Old Testament. He came in and one time offered his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. And his one offering, it gives us eternal redemption. John, let's talk about this. What what are some things
1: that are sticking out to you as we look at this? Yeah, kind of like you just mentioned those, the blood of goats and calves mm. never once has mentioned that it would offer eternal, eternal redemption. And so, and how they had to do sacrifices and offerings, obviously more than just on the Day of Atonement, yeah. and hundreds and thousands throughout the decades and centuries of um, being under this kind of covenant. Yeah. But even the quantity of all those sacrifices never amounted up to eternal redemption but the blood of christ one time for all sin and that's a that was powerful enough to be able to offer us eternal redemption amazing that the blood of our perfect lamb the lamb of god was able to do such amazing things
0: you know you're hitting it right on the head i mean he's, he's doing, and this is a fancy word and it's, it's, I think it's the best word for this situation, a juxtaposition. He's trying to bring Jesus alongside their old covenant and trying to just let us compare. I remember uh, as a kid, do you remember those, they probably still have them, but like they put two pictures side by side and they try to say like, what's different? And you have to try to see what's the difference. That's kind of what he's doing here. And yet, and those it was pretty hard because you look and you're trying to find like a tiny little detail like a hair is this way instead of that way but here he's trying to show you as you pull these up side by side you see some similarities but the differences are staggering he says that it's not the blood of bulls and goats but it's his own blood we were talking about this before jonah about how back then you know the bulls and goats uh, we'll, we'll talk about that actually in a second. I think that comes in a second, but we, we've got to hit that. That's going to be delicious. Yeah, for sure. But here we see Jesus's blood offers us that eternal salvation and it's it's eternal, it's eternal, it's eternal and it purifies us deeper because here we see that this one purified the flesh. And Jonah, you were talking about something you were reading about yeah. how this could be, what kind of sacrifice? Talk about that for a second.
1: So before I just mentioned that, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand with what I'll also say. It's uh, amazing. Yeah, there are differences and similarities, but it's an amazing thing. Uh, as I just was doing a brief reading over some of the sacrifices and uh, what might happen on also the Day of Atonement, all of the sacrifices that these Hebrews and the Jews uh, performed, Jesus fulfilled every single mm. one of yeah, them. Yeah, he did. So even though they had an offering for that and a sacrifice for this, Jesus died once and he was a picture. Well, they were a picture for just that one death. And so one of them was, I mean, they could be ceremonially, ceremonially uh, defiled or unclean. Yeah. But one of the ways was if you touch a corpse or a dead body. You would be ceremonially unclean and they would have a certain kind of sacrifice or offering that they would have to do in order to become ceremonially cleansed. Mm. And so he's saying the blood of of bulls and goats, they had the power to get you ceremonially because it was, I mean, these offerings were a picture. And so these were just a ceremony in themselves. If they were able to ceremonially cleanse you, how much more shall the blood of Christ do that? But even go deeper to be able to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh, I love
0: that comparison. I mean, uh, ceremonially unclean versus ceremonially clean is important in their in their day. That's 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 huge. But I love what he says and what you just brought out, how much more, I mean, if that can just cleanse us ceremonially, our flesh, like we touch something bad and now we're ceremonially clean. Now we're good. We're good. He says, how much more, how much deeper shall the blood of Christ go? I mean, it doesn't just stop at our ceremonial uncleanness, our flesh, it goes deep into our conscience. And I love this. It changes us. It changes us from dead works to serve the living God. That's what Jesus' offering does, and I do believe in chapter 10 he's going to go deeper in on this offering, so we're not going to go uh, further than this chapter allows us to, but it's so, so good. Jesus has a better offering and a better tabernacle, but let's look at these last few verses, 15 and on. It says this, for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. So if you've been wondering why in your Bible there's the Old Testament and New Testament, we'll kind of explain that. Today, So he's the mediator of a new testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, uh, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all, while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, I love this, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled the blood both uh, with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself Often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, that unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Oh, okay, guys, if you guys aren't excited about this section, I don't know what will make you excited. This is delicious. This is good. And so we're going to dive into this and just roll right into the end. But he says Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament the new testament and so as we look at new testament um we're really looking at yes covenant but testament here he's talking about like a will you know and uh wills are things that you get when somebody you you get the benefits of a will when somebody dies right i mean i think that's the simple simple way of saying this and i think that's even what he draws out in verse 15 the death is necessary. The death of the testator is necessary. And so this is what we were talking about. And so he's, he's, he's comparing again, juxtaposing these two testaments. In the first testament, it still needed death. It still needed death. But what was it that had to die in the first testament? In the first testament, the, I guess we could call it the Old Testament, as he says at the end of chapter 8. It's, it's bulls and goats. And so we were talking about this. That, that's kind of weird because in our minds, when somebody is dying, it's, it's the testator who dies, right? The testator mm-hmm. dies and now their will goes into effect. Yet in the Old Testament, it wasn't the testator who was dying or even symbolized in dying perfectly. I mean, there was the Paschal Lamb, which we're not going to dive in right now. But as we look at it, it was, it was like a representative of the people. Like that lamb was dying in my place or that bull was dying in my place. And so we have that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, what do we have? We have something even richer. We have not only Jesus dying in my place, but we have God himself offering himself up to bring and initiate this new testament this new covenant so that we might get the benefits of the will of the testament which is eternal inheritance i think that's where is that verse 15 the promise of eternal inheritance we get an inheritance that never ends because the testator gave himself for us
1: what a delicious and and a powerful thing jonah what do you have to add to this right here well, I think uh, you covered that that well I mean you the the only way we can get in on this will if you just think practically is you have to be in the family yeah. uh, for the most part that's how our wills work as well and so you want to have that eternal inheritance well become a son or daughter of God and just by belief on the son of God and what he did for you on the cross and so Man, you can have that eternal inheritance because the testator has died. Yeah. It, and that's, what I, I don't want I mean to open up a can of worms, but the first thing that I thought of, it's not normal that you ask for an inheritance before the person has died. And the only one that I can think of scripturally was the prodigal son. Hey, Mm. I want my inheritance now. Yeah. I know you haven't died yet. I wish you were dead. So I could have my inheritance. So don't die. Just give me everything uh, right now. Uh, But Christ has died. Yeah. So that we can now be um,
0: benefactors. Yes. Yeah. I love that word. The I love that. And so there's this inheritance that's there. And the only way it could be open for us is that he would die. And so he mm-hmm. does. And I love this. I'm looking I'm looking at the comments right now. I'm just going to look through here at some of these. Uh, wow, so awesome. I love that. We have, amen, loving this. Uh, I don't know how to say your name. Abdon? Ab- I hope I said that right. That's a cool name, Abdon. Good to see you. And then I love this. In Afrikaans, mm. I don't know how you say that. So in Afrikaans, a will is called a testament, and it's the same spelling. Cool. And that's so cool. Let's look at this. The executor of the will also died for us to inherit his kingdom. It's so true. I mean, the cool thing is, is that God gave up his life so that we could enter into all that he had. And it's a lot like the prodigal son. And we read the story while he's still alive. It says he divided to him, to them, his living. He gave his living so that they could have it. And that's what God does. He gave not just his living, he gave his life so that we could have the benefits of everything he has. And it says in was it Colossians or, or Ephesians, that for eternity, he just wants to show us the grace and all the good things that he has in the Messiah for us. It's, it's so good. And yet many times as believers, we miss the inheritance that's coming and we don't think about the inheritance that's coming. And our prayers often are focused on what we can get now. Like God, mm-hmm. give me this and God, give me that. And he's thinking, guys, do you not understand the eternal inheritance that I have for you? And I've met Christians who are disgruntled because God didn't give them something they desired. And I'll be honest, I've even been disgruntled that God didn't give me something I desired. And it it hurts my relationship with him. I'm like, God, I, I was wanting this for your service. Like maybe for me, there was a building that I wanted for our church and it didn't come to pass. I'm like, God. That would have been perfect. And I I wanted that for you. Why didn't you bring that? And I can get upset with him. And yet I think God sometimes thinks, do you not understand what I've given you? Do you not understand what I have in store for you? Why would you get upset with me that I withheld one thing that you wanted from you when I have so much more in store that's even better for you? Friends, there is an eternal inheritance. And look at this. I love this. We got to We got to look at this. Verse 20 after Moses. So he's again comparing us with the Old Testament. Moses, when initiating the Old Testament, says, saying, this is the blood of the Testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. And I just want to ask you guys, I want to ask you, what does that sound like? I mean, what does that sound like? Moses is saying, this is the blood, verse 20, of the Testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. And I hope in your mind, Jesus' last supper words are ringing like, when Jesus takes the cup and he says this is the blood of the new testament, and you're like this is the initiation of the new testament in my blood. You are supposed to immediately be thinking Jesus is the new Moses. He's bringing us out of out of the real Egypt of sin and Satan and death into the promised land of eternal life. He is the new Moses that Moses himself said is coming. He said, there's coming a prophet like unto me, him shall ye hear. And Jesus, he's like quoting Moses, but saying this is the new, this is, this is the real deal. That was the shadow, this is the substance. And now Jesus is that new Moses. And so we have him sprinkling everything, it says without shedding of blood is no remission. I think we should pause here, Jonah. And just remember, if you've been a believer for a long time, uh, blood can sometimes lose its potency. Um, but I was telling Jonah before we got on here that there was a, a young man who's not a believer yet who came into our service and we were singing, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? And after service, he came up to me and just asked, why Why are we singing about being washed in the blood of the lamb? And it hit me like, because it kind of gets put into our Christian ease. This is supposed to be like, ugh. Like, like Jonah, you are, an, you are an ultimate germaphobe. If you guys don't know that about him, he is like an ultimate germaphobe. And if there was someone going to dump sheep's blood on him, would you ever forgive them? (laughs) Hmm. Uh,
1: Uh, Probably not. It would be, it'd be (laughs) a long, it'd be a long haul. This is nasty. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I do believe all the symbolism and the figure of everything between the Old Testament and what Christ did. It's a beautiful thing. However, uh, the blood is not the beautiful thing. And with all this killing of these animals Mm. and all the sprinkling of the blood, um, and I can't wait to get to these last few verses because we'll see what what actually, how disgusting actually some of this was and what the high priest was doing but it's this not a, it's not a pretty picture now i mean and so then that's the seriousness of our sin um, yeah. because of our sin and our wrongdoing blood has to be shed yeah and i do believe if we ever witnessed one of these uh ceremonies it would make us remember how serious sin actually is and not that just that would. ceremony but then if you i mean just thinking of what Christ had to go through for us. Whenever you just, you even let your, our mind can't even imagine the brutality of it. But yeah. when you do, tears ought to come to your eyes. Um, whenever I'm just praying and thanking God for my salvation, man, it's not abnormal for tears just to start welling up of why would God go through all of that for this disgusting sinner? It just It's just unfathomable, but yeah. It's just the seriousness of sin and the love of God towards us.
0: I think that's what it's trying to show us. And now I, I can't speak for other cultures um, in America. Unless you're a hunter or a butcher, you don't you don't usually have to kill animals. You know, it's you go to the store, you see it there. It's already prepackaged and you take it home, you cook it or you can even go fast food and it's already cooked for you. You know, and and so we don't understand the heartbreak and the pain of, of seeing a living thing, every you know, especially as as a priest, some people would call them a glorified butcher because that's what they're doing all day. They were, they were killing things all day long, to atone for sin, and they're seeing this innocent animal, like this beautiful little animal that done nothing wrong and then they have to take its life and spill its blood. And it, it, it hurt. And it was just a reminder, this is what sin is. Sin costs life. Sin brings death over and over again. And this innocent substitute is standing in for me. And so we're supposed to, we're, it's supposed to still affect us. And so when we sing songs about the blood, realize that's, it, it costs life. It was, it's, it's horrible, it's, it's terrible, it hurts. But that is what purchased our, our salvation, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Sin can't be dealt with without blood, because death, because sin always brings death. That's the truth. Sin always brings death, and so it takes a death. It takes the shedding of blood to cover or take care of sin. So I, I, I hope we got that through. Let's look at verse 23. This is kind of taking the Old Testament and transitioning it to the New. He says it was therefore necessary. That's a key word. It was necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So in the Old Testament, they would sprinkle the blood on all these different things, but he says the same thing has to happen in the heavenly tabernacle for us to enter in, but it needs a better sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats wasn't good enough, and so the sacrifice was Jesus. It says in verse 24, for Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, uh, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year. Well, uh, let's sit on that before we touch on his sacrifice. Look at verse 30 or 25. Not yet that he should offer himself often, Friends, we gotta realize this. There is a false doctrine where people think that Jesus continually uh, is continually suffering for our sin. But this this is clear. This is not my own agenda. This is clear in the text that it's that Jesus is not continually suffering for our sin. This is a reason why, personally, I don't have a crucifix. Um, and you say, what's a crucifix? Some people have crosses and things, and that's awesome. I, I think that it's a good way to remember the suffering of Jesus as long as it doesn't just become, you know, a token. Uh, but but some people have a crucifix which has Jesus still on the cross, and they carry that around to remember that he's suffering for our sin, and I, I don't like those, and this is the verse that makes, that, that, that's why, because Jesus is not on the cross anymore, friends. He's not on the cross, because He's not still suffering. Look at what it says. It says, not that he should um, should offer himself often. And look at verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. And, and that's what some people think, that he's still suffering, that he's always been suffering, and that on the cross, he's still agonizing for my sin. Every time I sin, he's still agonizing. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to realize, no, no, it says there, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I want us to see how potent, how potent his death was. He doesn't have to continually suffer for our sin. His death was so potent that it only took him dying once to pay for it all, only to suffer once to pay for all sin. And so that's, that's one thing we got to realize. It took moment by moment sacrifices, you know, in the Old Testament. That's why we called them that glorified butcher, because they are always killing things, Are mm-hmm. always killing things. Jesus' sacrifice is so much better that it, it was just once. One time he suffered to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And he correlates that with our own death. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So Jonah, before I I talk about this, I want you to talk about um, talk about this. Oh, before I give it to you, I want to bring up some of these. Look at this, brother Gary. Good to see you. When Jesus died, he said, mm. "It is finished," and that's the truth. That's so. That's so needed. So needed. We have Miss Cindy here. Thank you for such an uplifting and detailed study. Oh, praise the Lord. God's word is so good. It's so good. I want to look at Miss Belinda here. It really hurts thinking about this. I get so upset over animal harm done, and I thank Jesus that as I, as a sinful being, never had to sacrifice an animal. That's true. I mean, I can't imagine having to kill, you know, I used to have a dog. Um, I can not imagine. I can't imagine. And these people having to give their prized lambs up just to show us, just to, it really is supposed to show us the cost of sin. Thank you for bringing these up. Um, oh, look at this. Christ is alive on the cross he accomplished everything oh hallelujah he is he's alive now he's not still suffering thank you for bringing that up joan i want to turn it over to you talk about these verses for a second
1: yeah so here here's this like seems like the climax of this passage that we're covering today yeah Uh, everything is good um but We keep talking about this Day of Atonement, I believe, because it talks about the high priest going in that one day every year, and that would be the Day of Atonement uh, in their culture. And so on at the beginning of the Day of Atonement, as I was just doing some uh, brief reading and quick study, uh, it was typical that the high priest, before he started any of these sacrifices, would take off his glorious garb Mm. that he would normally wear. Uh, for the purpose of having to do all these sacrifices because like we said it was a disgusting day he had to do these sacrifices and sprinkle blood and he needed to take off the the glorious garb that he would be accustomed of wearing and you can see and hear uh, in your mind the picture of what christ did when he made himself lower than the angels he put him put on himself the form of a a servant. yeah, he came from the glories of heaven, but he made Took himself a man. Yep, and so uh, it's an amazing thing. But now, verse twenty-eight says, "So Christ, is first of all, as it's appointed unto man, wants to die." We have to realize every single person lives only one time. Yeah, they don't. It, after that, it's it's over. It's uh, you don't get a second chance. I think we and need to so, hit that
0: really hard. Right. Um, one time, one time, one time, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe it was C.T. Studd who said only one life will soon be passed. Only what's yeah. done for Christ will last. And Jonah, you and I were talking about this before, about how we need to really, really let this soak in because I'm, I'm talking about myself. Sometimes I'm, I forget that this life is preparation for the next life and that we can take things with us. We can prepare for the next life and we can get rewards and other things that will set us up for the next life. But oftentimes we don't even care. Like that's the sad part is I don't care enough. I This world is more real to me than that world. And I start living with my eyes focused on the material and not on the eternal. And so may we realize we have one life to prepare for eternity. Like this yeah. life is only how many years? I don't know. It depends on how much God gives you, but let's just say it max for us, 110, let's just put that as the max, 110 years. But I'm gonna tell you, we have, let's say God gives you all 110 years. You have that much time to prepare for the rest of eternity and to lay up treasures in heaven. And so friend, may we take this seriously. We get one time and there's one death coming. And if you're not, if you're not a believer, you get one life, one life. And after this, the judgment. One hmm. life, after this, the judgment. So if you reject Jesus, you get one life, one life, and you will stand before him. You will stand before him and nothing you say, nothing you can give, no excuse you give will be good enough. And so please, if you're not saved, take this very seriously. You get one chance, one chance. Sorry for interrupting you, but continue on with your
1: thought process there. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, as, as is appointed unto man once today, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, um, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Mm. And so if we picture it, there's a lot just in that verse, uh, but I'll, I'll give this point and then I'll hand it back over. Uh, so on the day of atonement, the priest would take off his glorious garb, Yeah. but then at the very end of the day, after everything was all said and done, uh, and this is the picture that we see in verse 28, the priest would come back out of the Holy of Holies, the holy place. When he'd come back out and present himself to the people, the nation of Israel, it's signifying because remember, yeah, if yeah. certain things didn't happen right, he would ha- he had to wear bells and all that. He might die inside the holy place. So when he comes back out, it's showing everyone, hey, hey everything is good. Oh, yeah. Uh, The relationship between God and us, it's all good right now because of, hey, I'm alive here. Uh, uh, Everything's good with God right now. And so when we see here in verse 28, Christ, when he returns the second time, he's saying, hey, guys, I died for you in your place. I've gone up. I ascended into heaven to be in the holy place in the presence of God. I'm coming back showing hey i told i promise you i'd come back for you yeah. but everything between you and god is perfect come on up with me it's all good isn't that it's, amazing oh, okay so man. so
0: if, as we visualize the old the old ceremony and then we put jesus in that place it just it blows my mind that you know mm-hmm. like you were saying he took off his royal robes He took his own blood into the holiest. You know, he went in there and he is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. But then it goes on and it says that he comes back. He comes back out. And like you're saying, they would have seen the high priest going in there carrying the sacrifice for their sins. And they would wonder, is it good enough? Is it good enough? Or is he going to die? Like, that's why they had the pomegranates and the bells, like you were saying. And so the end, we have to feel their apprehension, like, oh, no, he's going in there. Is, that, is, is God going to accept the sacrifice or are we all going to stay in our sins? And like you said, when he comes back out, that is a clear signal. It brings to mind Colossians when he says he triumphed over them openly, you know, like triumphing over them in it. And, and so when he comes back out, it's like victory, victory. Yeah. I, I, and it's without sin. Sin has been paid for, right? Sin has been dealt with. And when he comes out, all sin is absolved. And so that's what he's saying here. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back saying, sin, you know when I'm back, sin has completely been dealt with. And this is your eternal salvation. And I think we got to realize salvation is in three tenses, really. Mm-hmm. It is, we have been saved. That's justification. We are, our our sin debt is paid. We are being saved. That's sanctification. We are being more and more made into the image of Jesus. But one day, this is this one. We will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And we will be without sin. Our sin, our sin cursed human flesh. We'll be remade. We'll have a new body. We'll be what the Bible says in Romans. We will be adopted. Our body is waiting for the adoption where we will be just like Jesus. Guys, guys, this is so good because Jesus once offered himself. And so thank you guys for being with us. I don't know. Are there any other things you want to add to this before we go? No, that, uh, what, what a climax to the end of that chapter. I know, right? It climbed. It really mm-hmm. did. It began really like in the Old Testament and hard to understand. How does this really apply to us? But he brings it home. I mean, he brings Mm -hmm. it home beautifully. And so I pray this is a blessing to you. I pray each of us take some time today to be in the Holy of Holies, just with God. I mean, you can do that today. You can turn off YouTube in just a minute and just go and spend some time with God alone. That's a privilege that we have that Jesus purchased with his life. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, as long as this was standing, it was saying that the way is not there but when jesus died this veil was rent meaning that now there's not two sections there was just one and jesus mm-hmm. made a way into the holiest for us to come boldly and so may we not just you know be thankful for but may we may we take advantage of what jesus purchased at so high a price for us and spend time with him today and Pray with him today and, and be with him. As John says in John 15, moment by moment, abide in Christ. Meaning you can, just, you can just camp out in God's presence for your day, for your entire day. You just stay with him. You just be with him as you go to Fred Meyer, as you go to Walmart, as you go to your job, as you go here. You just stay, just stay with him. And so thank you guys for being here. Thank you. I'm going to look through here. We have uh, some, some things here. One life that is sobering. It really is. It is sobering. And it brings to mind, is it Psalm 90 or Psalm 91? I think it's Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We have here, uh, oh, I missed one. We have hallelujah. Yeah, this is a hallelujah moment. I mean, seeing him come out alive, what a hallelujah. We have sanctification can be painful at times, but necessary. And that is the (laughs) truth. I mean, God stretches us and he grows us. And sometimes he uses trials. I believe it's in James to do that. And he says he brings these tribulations and trials that our, our, our faith might be made more perfect, that our patience might be made perfect. And so, yeah, it can be difficult, but it's definitely necessary. And the end result is glorious that we might be like Jesus. It's so good. Uh, Luigi, thanks for being here. It's so good to meet you. And then Abden. Man, so good. So God is so good. God is so good. Next week, Lord willing, I believe Friday, I'd have to look at our calendar, but I believe 6 a.m. again, we'll be with you guys as we jump into chapter 10 which is uh, the last really, really, really hard chapter, um, I believe. I could be wrong, but I believe it's the last really, really hard chapter in Hebrews. And then he switches to application, kind of like Paul does often. He goes a lot into the theology, and then he goes into the practicality of that theology. We see that same structure here in Hebrews. The first 10 chapters are all dense theology, and then the last ones are really outworking what this theology should do in our lives. And so I'd encourage you to be with us next week at. 6 a.m. 6 Pacific time we will definitely need our coffee then uh, but mm-hmm. be with us then thank you for being with thanks for the comments I enjoy this Samuel good to see you God's word is so so good but I hope you all have a great day today enjoy it and all you veterans out there again I just want to say thank you for your service yeah. it means a lot and I'm thankful for you guys and I pray you know that we respect you and are honored by what you did for our country but I pray you all have a great day and we will talk to you guys next week.